0: The Wright brothers had an amazing accomplishment as the first to achieve manned flight, a history that Montgomery shares in since the Wright set up shop right here in our city for the first ever flight school on lands near the area that would eventually become Maxwell Air Force Base. However, the truth is that the Wrights never really capitalized on their success. Due to a series of bad business decisions, they eventually fell by the wayside to competitors who came along after them. They started out first, but they ended up last. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable about first and last. He begins, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Jesus goes on to describe several more groups of workers who are recruited into the workforce later in the day. At the end of the day, the landowner goes to settle up accounts, and he decides to pay everyone the same amount. The one denarius offered to the first group. Those who worked longer hours grumbled against him. But the landowner answers, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Right after this, Matthew records the story of two of Jesus' disciples who asked to be given premier positions of power when Jesus comes into his kingdom. Well, actually, their mother asks for them. They promised Jesus that they can drink the same cup that he is drinking, but they don't seem to understand that this cup is the suffering and crucifixion Jesus is about to endure. Jesus takes this moment to teach all of his followers. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials excise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. First ones who become last, great ones who become servants. This story is just about to take flight. But it doesn't seem that the kingdom Jesus is bringing is going to land quite where the disciples think it is headed.
1: Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here, especially if you are a guest with us. Uh, Thank you so much for joining in worship with us today. Especially also, especially also. That didn't sound good. If you're watching online, thank you so much for being here with us today as well. For those of you in the room, would you please join me in giving a big hand to our online and television audience. If you're a guest with us, one of the things that we do uh, each week is we pray for another church in our area. And so this morning we're going to pray for Christ Church, which is an Anglican church here in our area. Uh, Their pastor is Father Andrew uh, Roel. And so let's lift them up as we pray for ourselves and get started today. Father, we come to you in this moment, and we are so thankful for everything that you are doing in this place, and for everything that you are doing in our families and in our lives. And uh, Lord, as we come today, we do, we lift up Christ church to you. We pray that you would be with them, that you would protect them and watch over them, protect their members. And Lord, we pray that you would be with Father Andrew. Lord, would you inspire his mind and, and his heart and put a hedge of protection around him And Lord, we just pray your blessings on this church that's doing your kingdom work in this great city. And now, Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the word that you have for us today. We pray all this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen." If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 20, the text that was just read for us, uh, we see this amazing parable that Jesus teaches at the beginning. And a lot of language about who is first and who is last and who has served longer or not so long uh, in the kingdom. And then what is their reward? And we we see Jesus teaching about the kingdom and this call to service and his generosity in the midst of all of that. What happens, Not uh, I mean... Not too long, right after Jesus gives this teaching, is we see this interesting exchange between James and John and their mother is involved with Jesus. And the other disciples are overlooking and listening to what is going on. And if you go to Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20, we see that the mother of James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to Jesus with a request. Jesus asked her, what is your request? What can I do for you? And she replies in verse 21 and says, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Now the picture here is that Jesus is talking with James and John's mother, but they are there as well. And obviously they were not listening too good to Jesus' teaching earlier just earlier Jesus looks at her and them and he says I really don't think you understand what this is all about can you really drink the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink from and they say enthusiastically oh yes we can do that and Jesus actually tells them in fact you will drink from this cup at some point in your life and we know as church history tells us that they went on to be martyred for their faith But Jesus ultimately says, this is not for me to decide, it's for my Father to decide. Now in verse 24, something interesting happens. After Jesus has this exchange with James and John and their mother, the other disciples, verse 24, the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, and they were indignant." They became very upset that James and John would actually get their mother involved and go to Jesus and ask. (laughs) Uh, Not making this up. It's really in there. And go to Jesus and ask to sit in a place of honor. A place of honor. And right here we see this tension begin to take place in the first followers of Jesus. All of a sudden, division is starting to creep in in this moment. But notice what Jesus does in t- verse 25. Jesus has this conversation with James and John and their mother, and then all of a sudden he sees the other ten are becoming very upset. In verse 25, he calls a meeting. He says, it says, But Jesus called them together. Called them together and said, You know the rulers of this world lorded over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But verse 26 says, Jesus looks at them and he says, But among you it will be different. And he goes on to say, don't focus on being great. Don't focus on being the leader. Focus on being a servant. And he tells them, I did not come to this planet to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now I want to make three uh, observations here to begin with the first one is simply this it is division is natural division is natural now i did not say that division is good i did not say that division is right i did not say that division is healthy i I didn't say any of that but division because we live in a fallen world is very natural even in the church even in the church. We see the first followers of Jesus right here. We see the tension that they're living with. And the division, the separation that's taking place relationally among them. Paul dealt with this in the early church, especially in Corinth. One of the main reasons why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians, is because there were divisions in the church. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, you see Paul say this. He says, Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And then he asks this question. He says, has Christ been divided into factions? Paul is saying to the church, think about it. Whenever you're splitting off into all of these different groups or interest groups, he says, is Christ really divided in this way? Two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 3, Paul writes and says, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarreling with each other doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? He said, when all of this is playing out and there's these different divisive groups in in any place, whether it be a church, work, wherever it is, a family, he says, doesn't it prove that you are being controlled by your sinful nature? He says, aren't you living like the people of the world? When one of you says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? And what Paul is trying to get the church to see here is that when division starts creeping in and we start making alliances on different sides, he says it's a result of our own sinful nature, and all we are doing is reflecting the world's values in these moments. In fact, when, when there are one of five things present, I'm going to give you five things here, one of five things present, there is going to be division. Think of it as A, B, C, D, E. The A stands for attitudes. When attitudes are negative in any group, in any family, there's going to be division. The B stands for when we believe the worst. When any, in any group, when, when some of that group is believing the worst in the other people who are part of that group, there's going to be division. C stands for constant complaining. Constant complaining. Where there is constant complaining, there's going to be division. D stands for demanding my own way. If you have any group, whether it be a church, work, family, anywhere, and and there uh, is one or more in that group demanding to have their own way, there's going to be division. And the E stands for elevating yourself or your agenda. When you have a group, when you have a church, when you have a family that's supposed to be unified and come together under the name of Christ, and someone is trying to elevate themselves or their agenda, there's going to be division. That's exactly what we see play out in Matthew chapter 20. So the first big idea here is that division, it's natural. It's natural in a fallen, sinful world full of fallen, sinful people. But the second big idea is that unity is supernatural. Unity is supernatural, and it must be constantly pursued. When Paul was talking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says this. He says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with each other and not be split into groups. I beg you. Do you hear him? Do you hear his tone here? He's begging them. I beg you. That you would be completely joined together, having the same kind of thinking and the same purpose. He says, rally behind your purpose, what God has put you here to do. Rally behind that. Don't, don't split off into these different groups. You see, where division is natural in a world where there's sin and sinners, unity is supernatural and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. But the third big idea, and the one that Jesus is really trying to get in his disciples' head here in Matthew chapter 20, is that we're we're all going to get caught up in division. Or we can seek unity if, if we focus on serving. Focus on serving. One of the antidotes to division is that we all focus on what God has called us to. What God has called us to. I learned this lesson in the ninth grade that was a couple years ago in the ninth grade I was on the baseball team I love baseball I played baseball from young young boy and I played second base and we were doing drills at practice and so the coach was actually sitting on a bucket behind the pitcher's mound and he would roll balls to either the shortstop or the second baseman and our job was to turn a double play everybody know what a double play is? trying to get two runners out at one time and so we're sitting there, and we're running the drill. And I'm at second base. He would roll the ball to the shortstop. I would run up behind second base. The base had to be a little bit on my left. I want to catch the ball on my left shoulder, so catch it with two hands, drag my foot across the base, throw. And then when after I throw, I wanted to crow hop so that you know, the runner sliding in wouldn't slide into me. That's just how we did it. And we were running this over and over and over again. Well, I got to noticing that the shortstops were being lazy. They were not fielding the ball cleanly. I wanted them to throw the ball to my left shoulder so that I could catch the ball and then get rid of the ball. And They were throwing it high. They were throwing it wide. They, they, they were not doing their job. Well, the more I focused on them, next thing I know, I was late getting to second base to turn two because I was watching them. I was frustrated at them. The coach walked over to me, and he said, Chris, I need you to keep your head down and to do your job. I said, but, but, but them... But they are not fielding the ball cleanly. They're not throwing it to my left shoulder. So I, I will turn, too, if they'll just throw it to my left shoulder. I can get this stuff. And then my coach said, Chris, I need you to worry about you. I'll deal with them. You just focus on what you're supposed to do. Because you're watching them, you're late getting to the base. And I remember in ninth grade, that, all, that stood out to me. And it has ever since. That my job is to, as my coach said, keep my head down, focus on what I am supposed to do, and not worry about what other people are supposed to do. Right here we have the ten sitting there watching Jesus, James, and John, and their mother have this conversation. And because they're focused on that, they become upset. They become upset. But whenever your head is down, whenever you're busy serving, you don't have time to focus on what others are doing or are not doing. And so, yes, division is natural. Yes, it is. Unity is supernatural. It's done by the power of the Spirit. But one of the ways that we make sure we do not divide, any group does not divide, is we stay focused on what it is that God has called us to do. Because we're either going to serve or we're going to self-promote. And what we see in James and John here in Matthew 20 is that instead of focusing on what God had called them to do, they start self-promoting. And the question is, how can I serve in a way that Jesus has taught and led by example here in the Gospel of Matthew? How can I do that? In order for me to answer that question, I first have to say three things about the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want to say about the Holy Spirit is that serving God can only happen by the Spirit of God. Serving God can only happen by the Spirit of God, especially serving God over time, over the long haul. And what Scripture tells us is that we have been set free in order to serve God. That's one of the benefits of salvation, that God sets us free so that we can actually serve God here in this world. Romans 7, 6 says, Now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, it says. Now we can actually do this. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Right here, Paul is alluding to this fact that now we can serve God in a different way. We've moved from the law, serving God out of duty, to serving God by the power of the Spirit, serving God with delight. We've moved from duty to delight. We've been set free so that we can serve Him. In powerful, powerful ways. And what the Spirit does, when the Holy Spirit empowers us, it does three things for us. Number one, it gives us confidence. Number two, it makes us creative. And number three, it gives us courage. Here's what I mean by that. When the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve God, number one, it gives us confidence. It helps us say, I can. I can actually serve God in the way that God has called me to serve Him. I can actually do it with God's help. Not only that, it makes us creative. That helps us say, I can serve God in unique ways. Maybe even in ways that other people have not even thought of. I can serve God in creative ways. And then number three, the Holy Spirit gives us courage. That's when we're able to say, I can serve God no matter the obstacles. No matter what comes my way. And the first thing we have to see is that when it comes to serving God, we serve God only by the power of the Spirit of God. That's why Zechariah said in Luke chapter 1, verse 74, he says, We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. Without fear. And that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what Oswald Sanders says. He said, The spiritual leader influences others not by the power of his own personality, but by that personality empowered by the Holy Spirit. And every one of us, have, are, we're called to serve in some way. But we have to understand that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second point I want to make about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, when He is empowering us, the Holy Spirit helps us focus on what God is focused on. The Holy Spirit helps us focus on what God is focused on. You see, when it comes to serving God, we're going to take two approaches. One of two approaches. We're either going to join in with what God is doing and serve in that way. Or we're going to go to God and ask God to bless what we want to do. This is what James and John are doing in Matthew 20. Right? And their mother. Don't want to leave her out. They go. I wish I knew her name. Anyway, they go to Jesus. And and we want you... To bless us in this way in the kingdom. And Jesus says no. No. See part of serving God is we have to ask God. God where are you moving? What are you doing? How can I join in with you in what you're doing on the earth? Not, Not just ask God to bless my thing. Now one of the ways we know if we're trying to join in with what God is doing. Or if we're just simply asking God to bless what we want to do. One of the ways we know that is to answer the question who do we want to get the glory? Who do we want to get the glory? Who do we want to get the honor? Who do we want to get the praise? If I'm joining in with what God is doing, if I'm joining in with what God is doing, in those moments, I'm wanna, I just want to get behind. I want to elevate the mission of God. I want Him to get the glory and the honor and the praise. But if I'm constantly asking God just to bless my thing, sometimes that's because I want the glory, the honor, and praise. Jesus said in John 12, verse 26, He says, Anyone who wants to serve me, you want to serve me? You must follow me follow me he explains because my servants must be where I am we're doing this together we're called to join in with Jesus in what he is doing on the planet not just ask God to bless our thing now the third thing I want to say about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit helps us become servant leaders the Holy Spirit helps us become servant leaders this is what Jesus is talking with his disciples about here again in Matthew chapter twenty. And what I want you to say, uh, what I want want you to know right here, is that everyone, everyone is a leader in some way. Everyone leads someone. Everyone influences someone. You may lead or serve uh, in this way in your family. It may be at work. It may be some way in the church or at the ball field. Wherever it is, everyone leads and influences someone else. The question is, how are you going to go about doing it? When you lead and serve in some way, do you want people to say, wow, what a servant of God? Or do you want people to say, wow, what a Savior? What a Savior. That's the difference between a servant leader and a self-promoting leader that Jesus is talking about here. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and following. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Don't do that. That's self-serving. He said, but take an interest in others too. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, he says. He goes on in verse 6 and he says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, no, 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 rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What Paul was trying to get the church in Philippi to understand is that you have to lead by serving serving. Don't focus on being the leader. Don't focus on being great. Focus on how has God called you to serve? Again, it's only by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us focus on what God is focused on, but the Spirit helps us become this kind of servant leader that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 20. That's why when He called His meeting with His disciples, verse 26, He looks them all in the eyes and He says, guys, it has to be different among you. It has to be different among you, among my people, among my kingdom, here on this earth. Jesus saying, "It please let it be different. He says in verse 26, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. Must be. He says there's no other way to do it in the kingdom. Verse 27, and whoever wants to be first must become a slave. There's no other way to do it in the kingdom, Jesus says. Verse 28, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served. The one who could come and demand everybody serve him said, That's not even why I came. Not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, That's why I came. That's why I came. We can only do that by the power of of the Holy Spirit. You are too sinful? I'm sorry. You are too selfish? Again I apologize. It only happens by the power of the Spirit. Only. The question again is how do we do it? How do we serve in the way that Jesus has modeled for us and calls us to serve? As I've been blessed to travel the world there have been three things that I've taught pastors and leaders in churches. Three things. These are very important to me. The first one is, if you're going to serve and be a servant leader, you have to serve from a place of security. You have to serve from a place of security. When you are insecure, it's obvious to everybody except many times to you. So your service has to be grounded in a place of security. And what I mean by security is you have to be secure in your relationship with God. You have to know who God is, know who you are, and know who you are in relation to God. And know who God is in relation to you. Jesus was absolutely secure in his relationship with the Father. That's why he said in John 14 verse 11, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus knew who he was in relationship to God. And he ministered and he served out of that security that he got from that relationship. So the first thing is your service has to be grounded in security. Number two, your service has to be motivated by love and nothing else. It has to be motivated by love. That is what has to drive you and compel you to serve God and serve others. It has to be the love of God that has melted your heart and changed your mind and given you a new one and you have the mind of Christ. That's why Jesus, or it says about Jesus in John 13 verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was motivated by love from beginning to end. To end the beginning of his ministry, it was all about love. As he's going through his ministry, it was all about love. And as he ended his ministry, he was still motivated by that same love. And it was that love that compelled him forward. And if we're going to serve, we have to be secure in our relationship with God. And we have to make sure that what motivates us and drives us is the love of God. But the third thing is very important, and it is this is that if we are going to serve the way Jesus calls us to serve, we have to serve through actions, not just intentions. We have to serve by action, not intentions. We get this beautiful picture that we're going to be looking at in in more depth as we walk through Holy Week. We get this beautiful picture in John 13... Starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew, notice the word knew. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from the Father and would return to God. No, that's security right there. Jesus knew who he was and who the Father was and what their relationship was. Verse 4, so he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jesus served in this way. We have this foot-washing God here. He served in this way because he, again, he knew who he was and who the Father was. He's motivated by love, and that's what led him to action. And then a few verses later in John 13, verse 12, it says this, After washing their feet... He put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? He didn't assume they understood. He said, Do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. Verse 14, And since I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I mean, they're coming off the heels of argument and after argument. He said, you should wash each other's feet. Verse 16, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends them. Verse 17, now that you know these things, God will, will, will. God will bless you for doing them. Not thinking them, not feeling them, not intending to do them. God will bless you. For doing them. If we're going to serve the way Jesus has been teaching us through the gospel of Matthew. It comes from a place of security. We're grounded in our relationship with God. It's motivated by love. But it always, always, always leads to action. Not just something that happens in our mind. It leads to action. I believe for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven for us to really see the kingdom come and grow and spread, even right here. It takes us being willing to act, not just talk, act, and let that action be motivated by love and flow from this place of a grounded relationship with God. I believe that's the only way it works. The only way it works. Everything else will be about us. It will be for us. Everything else will lead us to do what James and John did and self-promote instead of being a servant leader. And my prayer is that we would not go that route, but be grounded in our relationship, motivated by love, and let that flow into action and us watch God do amazing and powerful things. Amen? Amen? Father, I thank you so much that each and every one of us are called First to come into a relationship with you and be secure in that relationship and then to be motivated by that same love that has changed our life to go into the world and serve. Lord, I pray that we would not do that simply in words and feelings and thoughts, but Lord, may they be translated into action and may people see you through us in powerful ways. Let it be so. In Jesus' good name. Amen.